Welcome to the Family Biz Show, where we dive deep into the fascinating world of family-owned businesses. I'm your host, Michael Columbus, and in each episode, we'll bring you inspiring stories, practical insights, and expert advice from successful family business owners and industry thought leaders. Hidden in this grandparent-grandchild philanthropy and in the process is actually young children learning to ask for something in a very safe environment. This is step-by-step, paint-by-numbers, Get your strategy mapped out system. Join us on this journey as we uncover the unique challenges and opportunities of running a family business. The best part about it is that the guys in the field didn't treat me as the owner's son. I was just another guy. But I think what's super unique about our story, we lost the business and we got it back. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's dive right into the next episode of The Family Biz Show. Well, welcome everybody to the Family Biz Show. I'm your host, Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And today we have a incredible show for you. Um, we're joined by Andy Brewer from Huber Brewer, uh, construction company, build design, you name it in Syracuse, New York, but does projects all over the place. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Great. Looking forward to a good discussion. So you don't know this, but I uh, spent some time living in Syracuse and uh, raising kids in Syracuse for a few years. Nice. And, uh, so I drove past your, you know, facilities on a pretty regular basis. And World like, oh. headquarters, we like to call it. That's uh, right. Our That's humble right. beginnings on the south side of Syracuse. We're still here. Well, what I like to do when we start the show and I'm bringing somebody, you know, new into the show is just to kind of... Family business is that weird thing where everybody has their own journey, how they made the made the trek and started in the journey, you know, started in the family business. So if you don't mind, share with us, what was your journey like to enter into the family business? Sure. Well, I was the firstborn of three. So um, I think early on, there was kind of that expectation that, you know, Andy was going to be working summers and Christmas breaks and whatnot with the family business. So, um, you know, I, I was... I was working at Huber Brewer before I could drive, um, sweeping floors and hanging doors since 94, I say. Uh, um, so a lot of uh, early interaction on those job sites. Um, and, you know, just as there's some uh, family succession at the leadership level of Huber Brewer, we also have a lot of, you know, superintendents whose fathers and sons have worked for us, you know, some good lineage in the field too. So. It, it's been great over, you know, the 30 plus years I've been involved to kind of see uh, see how that has tracked over multiple generations at, you know, different different levels, different sectors of the company. And um, I, you know, would come back from uh, Christmas break, even from college or whatever, and would work a couple of weeks on some of the job sites and would always, you know, attend the, the Huber Brewer Christmas party and whatnot and stay in touch with all those superintendents and uh, all the guys I worked for over all those summers. and. Uh, when I graduated from college uh, in Atlanta, I went to Emory University in Atlanta. I, I um, ultimately took a job with a real estate developer in North Atlanta in Roswell. Um, but frankly, 9-11 was kind of that defining moment for me where um, there was that that tug to come home, you know, that, that longing to be closer to family and probably put some things in perspective. And, you know, looking back on it now, I can say there was probably... It, at age 22, there's probably some ego involved with feeling like um, something was given to you, right? The lineage is there for you with nepotism. Um, but you don't realize at age 22 how difficult it is even to maintain the status quo, you know, especially in a in a economic region like central New York and upstate New York. Um, so I, I was probably a little ignorant to it. Um, but I remember being at one of those Christmas parties and talking to one of those old superintendents and you know, I was in Atlanta at the time and he's like, so when are you coming back? I'm like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure yet. And he kind of gave me the like, what do you like? Of course you're coming back. Like, this is your destiny. And that was exactly maybe what I was turned off by at the time. And at the same time, um, it is what, what led me back. And uh, so glad I did. It's been, it's been a great journey. It's been an absolute honor to work, you know, alongside uh, not only my father, but now, you know, my brother. You know, to be at a position where my 14-year-old son just got his working papers and 
while the OSHA rules have changed, I can't put them on a job site yet, but I can certainly put them working in the Huber Brewer warehouse or the Huber Brewer office next summer. So, um, you know, I, I look forward to being able to share those kind of experiences now with my kids. And uh, I'm generation six, 151 years. So no pressure to my kids. We got to pass that baton though. Totally understand. That's, you know, I want to make sure that people he heard some of the things that you said that I think are just a testament to who Huber Brewer is. Sure. Several generations of not just family members, but superintendents and people in the field that have been there. Um, and that there's only one thing that 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 allows for that, and that's creating and keeping an incredible company culture. Um, you, your family, and through the years and the generations, the Huber Brewer Company is known for a, a great place to work. And well, there's nothing that makes me prouder than that. And uh, we spend a lot of time talking about culture and talking about legacy, and talking about um, solutions. You know, that at the end of the day, if we're going to be, uh, frankly, pretty hyper-regional, we don't seek really to, to be multi-regional throughout the Northeast. We're generally, you know, within 100 miles of Syracuse. And if you want to keep that, number one, you have to have the esteem of your repeat clients. It, it's a small town and it doesn't take long for reputation to spin out of control. Um, but furthermore, you have to be a bit of a chameleon in terms of riding the wave of the sectors that um, that are hot at any given time. So we've we've seen a couple different changes in industry and the creativity and frankly, the desire to be um, to be flexible, to be nimble with what kind of product types and what kind of projects you want to uh, pursue and be successful with. That's that's part of the secret, right? So that's certainly been a big part of, the, of our legacy and of our, uh, I just think, reputation in the community. Great. So you said 150 years. 151, 1872 is a sign behind me. That's HB 1872. Yeah. Talk about that. You know, I don't want to spend too much, you know, I don't want to spend the, yeah, I want to talk about today. Sure. Give us a little bit of background, 1872. To yeah, today. so um, so it's one family, right? The Hubers and the Brewers. But what, what happened is my grandfather, Vladimir, they called him Vic. Vic Brewer went to work for his father-in-law. So okay. my father, the Hubers are my father's matriarchal energy, lineage, and the Brewers are his, uh, are his patriarch. Um, if that makes sense. So the lineage is kind of on both sides. So it's always been one family. And I don't know why the vowels are so similar and the mouthful that it is, but just luck of the draw, I guess. Um, but the Hubers would have originally come over here um, from Alsace, uh, Lorraine, France. Um, they were likely stonemasons um, and probably came here. This would have been after the Erie Canal was largely completed, but there was still, uh, you know, Per, um, continuous maintenance of the canal. So they probably came here as Masons affiliated with some of the canal work. They settled in the uh, east side of Syracuse, um, Manoa, Fayetteville. Um, we used to say it was 1880, but actually just five or six years ago, we um, unearthed some uh, history from Immaculate Conception Church in Fayetteville, New York, uh, where they found um, evidence that the Hubers had done some work there on a convent in 1872. So uh, we got to have our 150th party uh, eight years earlier than originally planned. So that was that's last year. That's great. Um, so that that's the history in a nutshell. And then, you know, three generations of Hubers and now three generations of Brewers when my, basically my father went to work for his uh, grandfather and father. So that's where it kind of changed from Hubers to Brewers. That's awesome. And you know, one of the things that also resonated with me that you're talking about is no pressure, legacy, six generations. <laughs> So I want to, I want to, I want to give you a little, little tiny gift. Okay. And that gift is most S and P 500 companies don't make it 20 years. Right. So, so we There's always something. focus on the legacy and how hard it is to do this and how much weight there is. But even if it stopped tomorrow, the family should be cheering and the community should be cheering. And I want to make sure that there's a positive spin on that and you focus on the positive piece. That's their friends of mine, colleagues of mine have written a book called Wealth 3.0. And, and that's kind of the in a nutshell, it's we 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 push that, you know. Ooh, that negative, and you know, how many what what few get to the third or the fourth or the seventh generation. Yeah. And then 
but you, if you just look at it from the different lens, it's like, congratulations, nicely done. Thank you. Yeah, there is some college in Chicago. I can't remember if it's the University of Chicago or it might be Loyola, but one of them has a dedicated uh, uh, study to family business and, and legacy business. And I remember seeing a stat, this is probably a decade ago, that it's like 0.3 or 0.03% of companies make it to a fourth generation. Yeah. So you compute that out over two more generations. I can't even imagine what the, you know, what minority we are in. So um, yeah, there's a lot of pride in, in maintaining it for that reason. And also, you know, you do have to reconcile the fact that like inevitably someday it might, it might not exist. So it's. Um, yeah. But, but to your point, you know, you're doing some things already and this is not a, you know, uh, let me let's talk about what Huber Brewer's doing great. I just wanted to have you no. on. And I, I wanted to have this conversation. I never know where they're going to go, but you've got a 14 year old son that's coming in and no. and talking about <laughs> not necessarily by choice. <laughs> so there, so there's a couple of good things. I, I would I would highly recommend that there be a choice from my perspective. <laughs> um, but you know. It's that getting involved and finding out if it is something that you want to do, finding sure. out why, why dad and his uncle and his grandfather are so proud of the work, introducing them to the son of somebody whose you know, father or grandfather was also a foreman in the company and, and weaving that story without the pressure is that's the, that if you can pull that off, yeah. you're, that's the that's what you have to master in my opinion is how do i not put the pressure on this person because at the end of the day if your son said dad you know i really like what we do and i'm really proud of who we are and i'm glad that i'm a brewer but yeah. i want to be you know a, a dancer or i want to mm -hmm. be in the arts you know our, our job as parents number one is to make sure our kids flourish and are happy right sure well and i think that um you know, we, we are construction managers. You take the construction part away, right? Construction is the product, but it's it's like in manufacturing, you make a widget. In management, you manage a certain product and process. And ours happens to be construction. But the reality is if if my my son or my nephew would, you know, if they were if they're interested in or even tolerant of the you know the sector of management, then of course, why wouldn't you gravitate towards the man regardless of what you're managing? Yes. Why, why would you not gravitate towards the sector where you have, you know, the additional benefit and honor and legacy of all this, um, all that we've done? So a thousand, a thousand percent. And I would even, you know, it's you, every CEO I meet, the the ones that get it and you get it. You, you can't be sixth generation without getting this a seventh, you know, going into the seventh generation and that it's culture and what culture is all about is people. Right. And you know, you're not in the widget business. You're not in the service business. You are in the people business, and your people have to. Actually, that you know, everybody says customer service, customer first. No, because I won't have any customers if I don't have a team. That's right. Around well, me. and we are, and when you say our people, we don't self-perform anything. I don't have you know 50 guys in the field who are, you know, cranking out concrete forms or framing or plumbing or HVAC. So, you know, when you talk about our people, I mean, it's it's that multiplier effect of how we lead our, call it 75 people, and then the spider web of what they create to carry that out amongst their 100, 200 people on a job site. And um, have to remind ourselves sometimes, especially on the days when, you know, you don't, you, you end up not managing to do a thing you set out to do that day because of whatever came up, which is often, right? And you have to remind yourself that when you're in the management business, it is your job to keep the train on the tracks, right? That if all the subcontractors showed up every day and all the material showed up when it was ordered and uh, you know the architects got every last detail right on the drawings, then there'd be no role for a construction. All we do is align things and maintain uh, you know, budget, schedule, and expectations. And yeah, if you if you don't like talking to people, um, you're not going to be good in any management business, let alone construction, where tends to be a lot of uh, a lot of rings in this circus. Yeah. So. 
talk about if you would for from your perspective you know you you hinted at the fact that you know i'm in my 20s and i'm pushing back and you know i'm going to go a different direction you've made that switch you flipped over you get the legacy you understand you know all of these pieces what are what are some of the things that you love about being part of a family business Right. And 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 then the flip of that is what are the things that are difficult? And then how do how does your family navigate those difficulties? Yeah. So I'll say I'll change your question a little bit and I'll say, what do I love about the construction business, family business or otherwise? And that with you know, construction, I can't imagine being in a role, like even being like a restaurateur of of like you you you, you know, you have a product come in and then a product come out, and then you come in and you do the same thing the following day with. I love the fact that I can drive around, especially as localized as we are. I can drive around Syracuse and and every other block. I can say, "Yep, yeah, we built that in 1993, and we did the addition to it in 2014." And I and you know you can you look at this tangible product, and there is literally the fruit of your labor, um, and that's wonderful, right? And you hope that those buildings stand for hundreds of years. Um, the most challenging thing, obviously, is turning it off, right? It's like um, the family dinners, or you know, those moments when you are having some r and r with you know your my my folks or all of us uh, together like it how do you not have some of the you know you never have enough time in the work day to get to it so of course when you're having those uh, <laughs> supposed to be moments of rest and and fun it's hard to not um, you know gravitate towards some of that same discussion that that would be dominant at work so that's definitely the hardest part of it is is trying to find time to turn it off and especially in a community like Syracuse where your social life and your work life. I mean, we're not a bedroom community. It's not like we live in Westchester and work in New York City. All right. You go out for a burger, chances are you're going to run into somebody you know mm-hmm. from a project. Um, so it, it, you never really escape it in your social life uh, in a town like Syracuse or Rochester. Agreed. And, and I think it's funny. I, I look back at my career and every most of them once i started working with business owners that was my favorite part is that every day was different even though i was doing the same thing each day i was in a different facility i was i was learning something new whether it be from a cabbage farmer or from a construction manager you know it's yeah. it's pretty fabulous that you keeps your brain active um and for you like i love the idea of we built that that's yeah. That, that's something we did for me now it's like when i see that business make it from the second generation to the third generation and i think about all those jobs and the community and the impact that my team is having to help make those you know things happen it's yeah. it's fun for us no doubt it's uh, just great to be able to to share that with you know your team and your yeah. family and frankly but for that reward of, of feeling like you have that tangible achievement this business can be very maddening sometimes and i'm not you know there's not a lot of people who would do it if if it was just a sandcastle that got washed away after you were done i mean it, it's it, it's uh yeah it can take it out of you sometimes so you, you need the pride in that achievement and the the team um the team share in that pride yeah agreed you mentioned being able to be not so much visionary, but flexible and adaptable, you know, when you look through the years and the projects and the things that you've taken on, how is it that, you know, who's responsible for, you know, doing the SWOT analysis and how do, you know, what are the things that you're looking at? Because I think that's really important to say, it's one thing for the CEO to have done it through the time, but you, you, you know, to get the leadership team and everybody that's you know on there to get you know on the same page and be aligned through sure. the different things. How do you guys go about doing that? Well, I think I think it says a lot to the culture of the company and not just our family, but the, the families who work for us. And that um, you know, there are construction companies out there who go and they build Walmarts all over the country, or they build Delta Sonics all over the Northeast or whatever it is. And that's never gonna be us. Our for the most part, our people expect to be able to come home and make it to their kid's soccer game or get, you know, be there to uh, support their spouse's um, whatever it is, business or otherwise. Um, and so I think that as 
as those opportunities inevitably came across my father, my grandfather's desk, whoever, you know, we, we always said, no, let's focus on the best opportunities here in central New York, rather than worry about a sector and then taking the show on the road. And so then because of that, and because of those kind of cultural dynamics within the company and the desire to be close to home, think that that has forced us to always be thinking about, all right, you see, you see a, a project on the horizon and then you try to say, all right, what's going to equip us to differentiate ourselves? What nuance of work we've done in the past or what could we be doing to better prepare ourselves when that opportunity does, does really arise? And then they turn into waves. You know, we've done waves of higher ed work and waves of K through 12 work and waves of senior housing and multi-housing and purpose-built senior housing, uh, parking garages. So it's funny, there is a little bit of a, you know, institutional keeping up with the Joneses sometimes when Colgate might build a building and then Syracuse University has to have one comparable to it. Or, um, you know, a, a medical office building goes up for one medical institution and then you can sense there's going to be, a, you know, a similar competing project from a, a competing institution. So, yeah, there is a little bit of that um, herd mentality, I guess, with some of the projects around here. Nice. When you look at the projects that your company's done in the last 30 years, what yeah. are some of the ones that you just, if you're if you're gonna bring somebody that doesn't know Huber Brewer at all, and you're gonna show them the top three, what are the projects that you guys are most proud of? I mean, and it's not most, yeah. but they just stand. Oh. Well, they, they, anything having to do with really public assembly, right? Those are the projects that really resonate the most with the community. So I could, I could rattle off, you know, half a dozen of them that um, kind of checked that box uh, when the Mets came to uh, take on our minor league team here in Syracuse they dumped a bunch of money through the county into the new stadium so we got to do all the you know all this new lipstick on the MBT stadium that that was a great project to do because you get the the fun of being there with the Mets organization when they cut that ribbon and then you see all these thousands of people come into this new stadium and the kids eyes light up stuff like that uh, the Lakeview Amphitheater, um, which was now the St. Joe's Amphitheater on uh, the shores of Onondaga Lake. We got to work with Gil Bain uh, to do that. And it was really a game changer to, you know, to compete with CMAC and Saratoga and the rest of these uh, kind of aging um, amphitheaters for largely for, you know, summer concert series kind of things. And I love live music. And it's certainly a source of pride to go to a concert at the amphitheater and um, look out over the, you know, the setting sun on Onondaga Lake and just feel like, wow, we really, there's a sense of place here for the community that did not exist two, three, four years ago. Uh, the Nexus Center in Utica, which is the new, um, the new hockey arena. So they had an existing single rink, they call it the Odd or the Adirondack Bank Center. And now they have a three rink addition to it. So they have four rinks now they can host all of the youth hockey. You know, you go in there on a Saturday in December, it's just crawling with families. So Projects like that, where you feel like they're really part of the fabric of the community and the public assembly of the community, those are hard to beat. Expo Center at the New York Fairgrounds. Uh, we built a really cool indoor lacrosse arena on the Onondaga Nation, south of Syracuse. Things like that. They're just they're just fun. They're unique. And they, they contribute to the community. Love it. Um, culture. Let's go back to that for a second. Sure. When... You know, I'm a big believer that the the head of the company, regardless of title, head of company is in charge, is their number one priority is to make sure the head of company is doing head of company activities. Right. And so head of company activities for me are company culture is number one yeah. and strategy is number two. When you pick on company culture, what are the things that you and, you know, your predecessors and your brother, you know, what are the things that you're that are important to make sure that company culture stays at that sure. high level. Yeah. And right now, um, and you're absolutely right. It is very easy to get, to become a micromanager in this business. And so part of the culture is instilling the trust and the leadership from senior management to that, you know, that next level of project managers and assistant project managers so that you feel like you can you know, properly delegate and and do it in a way that doesn't keep you up at night. Still keeps you up at night, but maybe less up at night. Um, but the, I'll say that the highlight right now, or the focus area, the spotlight of our culture, uh, the focus right now is really on the succession plan 
how do you plan for growth? Um, like probably every workplace in America, we're at that same kind of aging, you know, baby boomer transition. Um, and particularly with, you know, the skill set of the old salt bricks and mortar construction managers who probably came up much more out of the field as compared to coming out of a construction management program where they're learning as much software and systems as they are, you know, physical construction properties. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a big part of what we're trying to capture now and what we're trying to, you know, in some ways extract from the old dogs and invigorate the new guys. So, um, yeah, succession planning is is absolutely the the, the pinnacle of uh, cultural success. So when you, and it sounds like when you're talking about succession planning, it's not just you know, for your family, it's Uh all of those positions all the way through and making sure that you've got backups and you're taking that knowledge base. Right. And I think, you know, across all industries right now in Syracuse, we're kind of, I'm not sure how well coined this term is, but it's kind of like the micron, the micron moment is kind of hitting here. And it's this kind of rising tide floats all boats. Right. So we're, we are bracing for inevitable growth. For, for years, we've never really had the peaks or the valleys in construction. It's always been just kind of steady, which is great and that it's been very predictable. Um, but, you know, we, we definitely are looking at our project pursuits and the pipeline and saying, you know, three years from now, we're going to we're going to need to be at 2x. We're certainly going to have the opportunity to be at 2x our volume. So what does that mean for succession planning, recruitment, retention, all those things? One of the things that I liked about I, I looking at your website, one, obviously, you know, I love the fact that it's HB1872.build, which uh, just is very fitting and very, very few people, in my opinion, put those things right into their, into their, you know, you are. I thought that would be great until there's all these automated like apps and stuff you try to register and they don't recognize the dot .build and then you're like, oh, maybe this was not well thought through, but. We do have a default back to our old .coms too, but yes, thank you for picking up on that. Um, but the other thing that's on there, so one, you you know, you honor the history of the family and the, right. the came before you. Um, you're talking about succession. You know, the, and you, you happen to live. You know, we all live in Onondaga. You know, world the Iroquois Indians, sure. um, and you know that seventh generation thinking. Isn't your, that cool? It's very cool. And you guys are in, on the cusp of living it. So honoring the people that came seven generations before you. And so I would I would push you to be thinking about when you're thinking about succession planning is to be putting out there to say, how are the decisions that we make today going to affect those seven generations from now? Yeah. And I had a, um, a really interesting conversation once community conversation that included some native americans and it was it was talking about that seven seven generation principle and another way of looking at it is that i knew three of my great grandparents i you know i remember my interactions with them and you hope you live long enough that you know your great grandchildren sure. so that is seven generations right and so yeah my when i think about it that way um my grandfather uh, who, you know, might, it would have been great if my son had known him, but like, it's, it's that close, right. That he would have been kind of that middle generation in seven generations of Hubers and Brewers. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just great to know that you're kind of living what that parable, uh, should be. Um, it goes without saying in construction, there's a lot of buzzwords around sustainability, right? So when you think about doing, doing what's right for, you know, for the community today and for the for the world that we hope to leave to our children, like you know the the principles of sustainability, which no one knows better than our Native American uh, community members, like that. That uh, I'm 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 encouraged that it is starting to become a little bit more, um, not even an ambition of the construction industry, but what we used to think was like a aspiration for a lead accredited project. Right. Now it's kind of just common. Like no, that's part of the life cycle analysis, that's part of the energy code study. That's part, it's just become a little bit more industry standard. Uh, but of course we can always do better. And we're seeing it every day with 
you know, mass timber structures or certainly with a lot more solar uh, geothermal energy. So I think all those things play into that seven generation look ahead. And I don't know. I, I was talking to Christine earlier about how it's, it's hard to uh, think back to how we used to have to shut jobs down in the wintertime because of the anticipated snow accumulation and the cold. I think we have, you know, a very local example here of, how real climate change is and that we don't really plan to shut jobs down anymore. We just kind of grin and bear it. And um, so, you know, climate change is real. The need for sustainability is very, is very relevant. I'm going to stay on the topic of company culture because I can't emphasize in my opinion, how important it is. And so when I look at company culture, it's the, the blending of, three different things. It's that vision for the future. It's that big, hairy, audacious goal to get everybody excited about where we're going Right. and core purpose, which I think, you know, is, is I'm listening to you and, and not everybody defines it with these words, but I think that we get there all the same way. We just might use different words to get there. So where, you know, you're talking about seven generation thinking, you're talking about succession planning and not succession planning from a, from a, as an event, but succession planning as kind of that purpose. How do we make sure that there's jobs for the grandchildren of the, you know, the foreman that we are, that we're feeding today and that we, that, yeah. that we're taking care of today. The other side of that. So if I take my vision for the future, I have my core purpose of, you know, what drives us. And I love the idea of succession is what drives us. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, the other part to me is always core values. And when you blend those three together, that that makes company culture come together. And, you know, your website does a really great job of talking about them, um, caring and safety, quality, integrity and innovation. Sure. And, and I would say that, you know, from talking to you, Many times you look at somebody's website or you look at them, their words on a wall, they're aspirational, but you guys live them. I would, I'm, and I'm throwing, I'm throwing a curveball at you a little bit, but just how do you see people? How do you capture people living those values? How do you keep those values alive at Huber Brewer on a regular basis? So the most tangible way we do it is through employee recognition so we we literally have a program where we ask people to you know catch folks in the act and on a quarterly basis we call out those moments and we commend those people for exhibiting those values and they literally go up on a wall here they they are a brick on a wall so i'm cheering for those of you who can't see me and are listening to this this is like we call this actions to live by yeah. and the fact that you guys are doing that i didn't know but i could just feel that i mean i wasn't trying to lead you or anything but yeah. this exact... it was hardly a curveball it was a softball yeah um, no it was easy um and we've we've increasingly tried to put some emphasis on that because as the company gets gets larger and as there is maybe less interaction between you know, Jim Brewer and the average carpenter or whoever on a job site, like you, you need everybody to be the eyes and ears and the advocates for the company and for and for you know the successes uh, of of their coworkers. And um, who doesn't want a little bit of recognition for going above and beyond and try to build that and celebrate it? Uh, it's it's increasingly something we're doing more of. Yeah, and, and again. You're in the people business. Yeah. You're 22 years old, 20, 24, whatever it was when you came over to Huber Brewer. Yeah. Came back home. Nobody, very few people. I, I, I know there are some people that feel that leadership is just you're. It's an eight, and you're just born with it. And I challenge that on a regular basis because I feel that it's something that it has to be learned. Yes, there are some people that have more emotional intelligence than others, and they're gifted in that arena but yeah. leadership can be learned. If you look through your development as a leader, you know, you didn't, you didn't, I don't, you, you probably learned a lot of things. What were some of the things that, or books that you read that you sat there and said, you know, I went through this or maybe defining moments where you messed up and yeah. said, Oh, that's not happening again. Um, boy. The 
I guess the 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 to answer the last question of you know that that's not happening again. The the best way to combat that is to get into uniformity of process, right? And I am not good personally at the discipline of sitting down with my team and developing standard operating procedures and having you know the employee handbook. If there's anything that I learned, it's that. I learned that that's not that's not something that I'm ever going to be good at. It's something that's always going to be on my back burner. So finding somebody who is good at, you know, bringing people onto the team who are not only capable of doing that, but are drawn to the, doing that and see the value of it. Um, getting to that uniformity of process is the only way where you can grow. And increasingly so with systems, right, with software, with scheduling software, project management software, accounting software. Um, we all become dependent on these systems, but if we don't all use them the right way in the same way, then what's the what's the point in having them and paying all these extensive licensing fees and whatnot? So, yeah, we we made a big jump to add to the kind of verticality of some of that process, uniformity of that process, to equip ourselves to grow, and that's been a big effort here the last I'll say ten years. Um, I don't know in terms of some of the leadership book. I, I think some of the simplest ones are the are good to great. Uh, that's that one certainly is. Uh, I think you can look at any company at any stage and say, "Well, we're a good company." You know, and you try to make it better, and then in the in the context of looking at your competition, you're always going to be good, but you can always be better. Um, and I like that old saying: you know, things get better or they get worse; they never stay the same. Yeah. Um, I'm also lately on kind of a brevity kick. Um, I really like part of this is is grown out of my disdain for polarized news sources, right? I kind of, a couple of years ago, I said, I'm going to try to find a middle of the road um, you know, news outlet. And I landed on Axios. And if you're a fan of the Axios news source, you know that they do a lot to um, promote brevity, both in how they deliver the news as, how, as well as kind of what they promote as kind of the life lessons and work lessons, um, which is an interesting part of it. And I so I've steered a lot of my coworkers to it. They have a book called Smart Brevity that naturally is a pretty short read. <laughs> and uh, um, and it just kind of speaks to the amount of content that we're all taking in. We're always on our phones, we're on our computers, we're hearing it on the radio, we got print media, we're on the television. It's coming at us in so many ways and people don't get past the first paragraph. So don't waste that first paragraph. You know, And I think it's just very important. So I don't always get uh, takeaways when I'm when I'm doing this. So I've already pulled up Axios to take a peek at it. Thank you. Appreciate Another that. smart brevity book is definitely worth a read, and you okay. can read it in about an hour and a half. So love it. Perfect. Um, so we've got company culture. You've done a great job with that. We're talking about leadership. Great book. Good to great. That's sure. you know we we that's one of the books that we foundational in our how do we build the business. Um. The other piece that we talk about head of company is in charge of his strategy. And the way when, when I talk about strategy, and I again, I think I might be throwing you a meatball across the home plate on this one. Um, but when I talk about strategy, it's all about how are we unique? We don't compete. I don't, you can't compete to be the best. If you're competing to be the best, everybody's going to be, it's price and this and that and those pieces. The only thing that you really can compete on and build a strategy around is what makes you unique. So if, I'm, right. if I'm one of your clients, if I'm, you know, if I'm thinking about hiring Huber Brewer, what are the, what are some of the pieces that make you stand out that make you unique? You, you've nailed it. That and you know a sea of competitors. What's the differentiator? And uh, there is always an intangible, especially in a community like Syracuse or Rochester. Um, we we try to ingrain ourselves in the community, and it's not just the Brewer family. We 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 are kind of openly um, promoting and and advocating for our team to to get involved in something that they're passionate about in the community. And I don't care if it's Dog rescue, or meals to we, or meals on wheels, or uh, you know, an, an artistic venue, whatever it is, um, it gets you out of your comfort zone because you inevitably end up on a committee or a board, you know, a group of people that you wouldn't necessarily see by going to the little league game or at your school function or whatever. 
so now you're out mixing with people from you know, all around the community and it just, it always leads to an opportunity to a differentiator saying, yeah, we know that person or we, um, and then supporting those organizations, you know, leads to, I don't know if pet projects is the right, but there's, there's a lot of organizations that I feel like because we are so community oriented, they look at us as kind of a natural problem solver. So, and sometimes years before there's a project, it's, you know, help us navigate this program challenge with our facility. Help us think through this. I love those calls because number one, I feel like I'm helping the community. And number two, I know that two years later, there's going to be some project that comes of it after the capital campaign and after the, so um, yeah, I think that just immersing yourself in community um, and not to do it in a way that is not rewarding to our, to our um, team members. Like if our employees, I don't want them to get involved in something they're not passionate about. So we just encourage them to do something that, that rings true for them. And if there's some gravy that comes out of that in a business or community relationship, then great. That's awesome. That's perfect. That is a really, I mean, there's so many tendrils that go out and spokes to that wheel that really make a difference. Yeah, um, especially in a small town. Yeah. And, and, and to the other side of it, my gut says, you know, whether it's a foreman or a leader in the business or a manager, when they're involved in these pet projects, yeah. in their pet project, meaning the yeah. charity that they're involved in, a, you know, someplace that they're passionate about, when they come back and say, hey, they're doing a campaign to, for X, Y, and Z. Are you guys okay backing me on this um, yeah. So you're getting it. That goes, I mean, think about just from a company culture perspective, the company cares about the projects that are important to me sure. and how I'm out in the, the community being an advocate for and the face of the company, just brilliant. And yeah, then two way street, right? Yeah. And, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be real. Like you said, if they weren't passionate about it, and if you didn't mean it, and the reason why it's so meaningful is because you guys care. It is one of the core values. You really care about the community that you're in and the legacy that you're building. Yeah, going back to the whole, you know, if we were building Walmarts all over the country, you don't have that opportunity because you don't have the genuine connection with with community. So I think the reason we've become these, you know, this chameleon in central New York is because of that genuine commitment to our team and that team's commitment to the community. So. Um, I'm super proud of it. Really am. Should be. Um, looking at all right. So we've got company culture. We've got strategy. Um, what is communication like through your organization? What are you know how how do how does the company communicate? What's the rhythm for communication through the company? It's funny, the cadence and discipline of that communication is something we're always trying to improve and. Um, if there's anything that we kind of test through surveys, um, it's it's looking at the frequency and the format of communication. And this kind of goes back to the brevity piece. I don't want to insist on people sitting through a monthly meeting if they don't, you know, if they just feel like it's redundant or it's a drag. So, um, yeah, there, there, there are people who sit around, you know, the I'll say the boardroom table, you know, every Friday morning who know most of what's going on in the company, the people working on a specific job site for 18 months, they certainly don't have the same pulse mm -hmm. um, or have the same understanding of the pulse of what, what we're chasing. So um, you have to be cognizant of that, I think, with how information is disseminated around the company. And some of it is just that people want to feel confidence that because we tend to work on job cycles that are a year or 18 months or two years, well, where am I going next? There's a lot of that communication that's, don't worry, you know, the pipeline is intact. So I find that the communication is much about the confidence. I mean, if we do our jobs well, we're constantly working ourselves out of work. So the communication needs to be around the confidence and the, you know, perpetuity of the work. <laughs> and um, we're doing a better job with that, um, but we can always improve. Nice. Um, in terms of succession, and how that relates to company culture and building out your, you know, the A player leadership team, as they say. Um, is there, or has there been any talk about like 
Huber Brewer University? Huh. Um, it's funny. We didn't really work with a leadership consultant until about two years ago. Uh, and it's funny. I can even go back 10 years ago when it was kind of like Jim Brewer and everybody else. <laughs> and it's, taken us, it's taken us even that, you know, here we are 140 years into our company. We didn't necessarily have the verticality of saying, well, we have a pre-construction department and a construction department and a operations and accounting department. Um, so that's all like relatively recent in the in the you know arc of the company. Um, so we're now just kind of getting to the point where in that succession, we say, okay, well, we now we need to define what our leadership development looks like. And the first thing to do in that is getting to those standard operating procedures and protocols and you know employee handbooks so you can you know accurately define what somebody's role is so that it is replicable. Yeah. Um, we I just, I just gonna, I love that conversation because you're right. I mean, you're right there. Yeah. Um, we call, come on, uh, scorecards instead yeah. of job. I, I love, and I, and I, I would like to call them trading cards, but everybody gets mad at me because you know you can be traded to another company if you so choose, and that's fine. Um, but that, that may be a little, little crass. But yeah. scorecards are, are brief. Job descriptions are too long. Right. Scorecard is what are my function accountabilities? What are the, the what do I need to bring to the table? And what are the KPIs that I'm getting measured on? And if That's I right. keep them that simple and that brief on one page, oh, and by the way, it, it, the company values, add that to the, everybody's scorecard and then rank them on, you know, a, a zero to five on the company values. So you can say, how am I holding up on these different company values? That's it. And the as I'm learning more about what a leadership academy of sorts would look like. I'll think I'll say that probably the scariest, boldest part of it is the inevitable kind of 360 review, you know, looking up and down the chain that I doesn't matter what role I play in the company. If I'm kind of tapped to be a leader, I have to have the thick enough skin to be able to say, well, I need to know what people above me, the people below me and the people around me kind of think of my leadership style, my strengths and weaknesses. Um, that's a that's a scary prospect for an organization that's never done a true 360 degree review process and survey. So, you know, we're right at that point right now and um, something we're going to need to embark on as we think about succession and growth. So um, it's a very relevant topic for us right now. Um, if you look at the next 12 months, and I know, I, I think I know the answer to this already based on what we've been talking about. What, what would you say is your number one top priority? Is, is this what, is, this is it right now. It's just how do we put our succession yeah. plan? Place. Leadership succession leading to growth, you know, making it replicable. Okay. Um, there you go. HBU. Um, I'm going to coin it for you. HBU, you Brewer University. Um, Too many U's. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan yeah. of every company having their own university and not as a farce, not as a, you know, not just to have the name and think it's cool, but to actually yeah. really um, delve into those things. And, you know, Happy to at any time feel free to say, what about this or what about that, Mike? You, you now have my email and I'm happy uh, to share those things. No, our, our company marketing people already coined it. They say we're going to have it on Tuesday afternoons and we're going to call it 1870 Tuesday. Oh, better than I. So much better. <laughs> 1870 Tuesday. I, they win. That's that's why I'm not in marketing. I'm in yeah, right. Me neither. <laughs> I can come up with that. Um, um, when you look at the you know, the current pains and frustrations that you're dealing with right now, what would you say are the top one or two pains or frustrations as a CEO that you're dealing with? I think, I'd like to think we're kind of, we're, we're through the, um, what were they calling it? The great, uh, where, where everybody was kind of leaving their job here two years ago. What are they calling it? The, the, uh, um, anyway, <laughs> I'd like yeah. to think we're over that part of it. Um, we didn't lose a lot of people. We were very fortunate. Um, but, it, you know, I didn't think we had a lot of uh, grass is greener kind of moments here, um, which was encouraging. But it's, it, I still was reading enough headlines that it had me worried, you know. Um, I don't know. I mean, of course, you're always worried about you know risk management and insurance with construction right i mean my father jokes that he never has to go to the casino because he just goes to work every day and we just hope that you know nobody falls off a ladder 
um, the risk management climate in New York State, labor laws, uh, you know, some of the, uh, frankly, you know, uh, medical you know, uh, legal groups that are out there, um, employee employment law and whatnot. I mean, there's just a lot of it's a it's a tough risk management risk environment um, as a state. And so we're always looking at how we're managing best practices in safety and best practices in insurance, whether that be you know lines of general liability in auto and workers' comp, or even looking at health insurance planning. Feels like those those programs are probably the thing that are the most burdensome and therefore worrisome. Um, so that's really the only thing that comes to mind. But I'm not I'm not worried about the pipeline. I'm not worried about the job pursuits. I'm not worried about the culture. That's so that's that's the the good side of it. So nice. Um you're sitting in an auditorium, you're on a panel and the audience is second and third generation family businesses that are hoping that they can make it to 6 and 7 themselves. Yeah. What are you telling them? What are the what is what are your top 3 don't take your eyes off of these balls. Yeah. Um, celebrate the little victories. Don't be afraid to be your own advocate. You know, I think that, and it, it might it might be almost a bit of a Central New York thing too. I think that we are sometimes our worst enemy that we don't, we just have a little bit of pessimism here. And it's it's from it's from generations of you know the flight of business and just feeling like we're kind of an underdog. Um, we have a lot of uh, differentiators and knowledge base and frankly just grit in this community. And sometimes you have to remind people that we're not the underdog, or at least we're not anymore. So be your own advocate. Um, and, and I, I want to add, I want to just add to that. I think that's not just Syracuse, it's Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse. Sure. It's I the really Rust Belt, right? It's just credit for this I-90 corridor and what we've all been through, you know, and and how we all have a lot of grit. I think the, that's and the people the people who are often the whiniest are the ones who've never they've never lived anywhere else. So they they you know, you I've lived in Atlanta. You go to Atlanta for six years and deal with that traffic and that heat, you know, move to Washington, DC and deal with the traffic. Move to Boston or LA or wherever, um, Texas. So I think that sometimes the people who are the most vocal or maybe the least qualified to have that have that opinion. Um, and the people who are most satisfied here are those that have gone someplace else and then come back to the four season towns that we love here. Um, and and realize the, I don't know, the simplicity sometimes of, of our lifestyle here. Yeah, we have high property taxes, but we also have an abundance of water. We have Places where my kids can go skiing I don't, in the afternoon after school. Yeah. Not many places in the country, let alone the world. Um, anyway, my last one is is you know the team dynamic. Um, nobody can do it themselves, so probably goes along with celebrating the little victories and that celebrated as a team, not as an individual. And uh, yeah, prioritize the team. Love it. Um. I had a question and then I was listening. Um, last one is, it's not about books. Usually that's one of the things I throw out. What do you, I guess that's, what do you do? You know, leaders uh, are learners and leaders are always, you know, reading something or learning something. How do you learn and what is, what are some of the things that, you know, you, you shared um, Axios with us right now, but yeah. What are some well, of funny, the other I, things? I, my my wife would tell you I haven't really read a book in years. I, it's true I haven't sat down and read a book cover to cover in multiple years, and yet I'm always reading. Right, too often probably on my phone, and too often when I should be shutting off the lights and going to sleep. But um, I think any any good manager of people is also you know a student of people, a student of emotional intelligence, and. Um, my business is my family but you have to remind yourself when you're in a leadership role at a family business that it's not everybody else's family and that you are never going to be as important you're you know you can never expect an employee to treat his work 
uh, as the as the number one thing in their lives, and more importantly than their own families and their own home lives and their own you know uh, passions and recreation. And um, it goes a long way, I think, to to be I don't know astute enough or perceptive enough to know when that employee when something is so important to that employee that. I have to say, you know what, we have to backfill this because I want this employee to respect their job and respect what's important to me enough that I better have the perception to know that this is a very important weekend or event or moment for that person. So that's good. That's 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 gold for a lot of people. I don't think they I think they feel it and think it, but not maybe not out loud. And you need to bring that to the forefront. The fact that, you know, your employees' families always going to come before your family, always going to come before the business. And if we don't realize that, then it could be detrimental. That's right. If you want to, if you want to gain that forever loyalty in an increasingly fickle, you know, recruiting and retaining environment, uh, you, you better know what makes those people tick. Yeah. All right. Last, last one. (laughs) Okay. Favorite family tradition. Oh man, um, so we we like to get away to the St. Lawrence River. Um, we have a place up on Wellesley Island, and I'll say the the best tradition is just the ability to have summer weekends up there. Like that, it's uh, growing up. You know, that's where I got into trouble, and it's where my kids are going to get into trouble. And um, there's a certain you know reliance that you, you, kids develop. I think with um, you know they can only get in so much trouble, but it's like a different. You know, learning to be on boats and learn how to fix a motor or learning how to, you know, in, install that part of the dock or whatever. Like it's just, there, there's a certain uh, craftiness that comes to, you know, that, that time and everybody's got that place. Whether it's their garage, their camp, their summer home. Um, we just are always trying to prioritize those moments because there's a certain self-reliance that comes out of uh, those experiences, you know, camping, whatever it is. So. I try to hold on to those. Thank you for sharing. That's, um, you don't know this, but my wife and I just were up in Ottawa yeah. in the beginning of September and we went across, you know, the the, the Thousand Island Bridge. Yeah. And we both looked at ourselves as we were going through, we're getting to that point of life where, you know, all of our kids are out and we're like, we always think about the Finger Lakes. We're totally missing it by not coming up here. Yeah. And I just started looking at real estate up there. So it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing will create uh, self-reliance in a 15 year old kid and getting pulled over by the Canadian customs boat and uh, having to answer those questions. Right. And wondering if you're going to find yourself in some Canadian jail and your boat being impounded. So, yeah, I, I think uh, there's just a certain amount of self-reliance that comes out of our time up there, which is great. Nice. Andy Brewer from Huber Brewer in Syracuse, New York. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your time and your thank wisdom you. with everybody. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I always learn from uh, you know moments like this, events like this. I appreciate being uh, included to program. So thank you. You got it. Thanks everybody for listening. My name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York, and you've been listening to the Family Biz Show. We cannot wait to host you again on the next episode. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Family Biz Show. We hope you've gained valuable insights and practical tips for running a successful family business. Remember, managing a family business can be both rewarding and challenging, but with dedication, communication, and a clear vision, you can create a thriving enterprise that supports your family and community for generations to come. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it. We'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Don't forget to follow Family Wealth and Legacy on LinkedIn and Facebook for more resources and updates on upcoming episodes. And most importantly, keep the conversation going within your own family business. Remember, you're not alone in this journey, and we are here to support you every step of the way. Thank you again for tuning in to the Family Biz Show, and we'll see you next time. content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. 
Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.